Tonight is part of our ongoing series about sibling relationships. I'm going to be speaking with Adele Faber about sibling rivalry. Adele, along with her co-author, Elaine Mazelish, is an internationally acclaimed expert on communication between adults and children. Her first book, Liberated Parents, Liberated Children, received the Christopher Award for literary achievement affirming the highest values of the human spirit. Her subsequent best-selling books, among them How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk, as well as Siblings Without Rivalry, the one we're going to focus on today, which was number one on the New York Times bestseller list, have been translated into over 30 languages. Adele offers group workshops and parenting videos for PBS, which have been viewed throughout the world. Siblings Without Rivalry is coming out with a new edition this April. Adele Faber and Elaine Mazelish's work was a wonderful resource and guide for me as a parent, and I'm so honored to welcome you, Adele Faber, to Safe Space. Thanks. I wondered if you could tell me about how you came to understand that at the heart of sibling rivalry is this deep wish to be the only one, to be loved exclusively. Well, it's not hard to understand because, hey, it's mom and dad who provide everything a child needs. It's the it's the sunlight of their attention and and cuddling and warmth and love and food and nourishment that that just helps you grow and thrive. And then suddenly there's this other human that comes into your life, and suddenly it means that there's less, less, less for you, <laughs> less lap, less smiles, fewer. Uh, it just is a very threatening and painful experience. And, and I sometimes tell people that if they want to experience what, what it's like for a youngster, just imagine if your spouse would put an arm around you and say, honey, I love you so much and you are so wonderful that I've decided to have another wife just like you. <laughs> and, um, and then suppose when the new wife finally arrives, you see that she's very young and kind of cute, and when the three of you are out together, people say hello to you politely, but they exclaim ecstatically over the newcomer, isn't she adorable? Hello, sweetheart, you are precious. And then they turn to you and ask, and how do you like the new wife? What are you, what are you already feeling, Anne? Rage. <laughs> <laughs> Rage? My goodness. Well, The uh, outrage you know, of it. What, all right, well, control yourself, dear, because the new <laughs> wife needs clothing, and your husband goes into your closet, takes some of your sweaters and pants, and gives them to her. And when you protest, he points out, well, then since you put on a little weight, dear, your clothes are too tight on you, and they'll fit her perfectly. Now it's really getting ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and now, just to pile on a bit more, the, the new wife is maturing rapidly. Every day she seems smarter, more competent. One afternoon, as you're struggling to figure out the directions on the new computer your husband bought you, she bursts into the room and says, Ooh, can I use it? I know how. You're going to... You going to let her use it? <laughs> okay, and when you tell her she can't, she runs crying to your husband. Moments later, she returns with him. Her face is tear-stained, and, and he has his arm around her. He says to you, what would be the harm in letting her have a turn? Why can't you share? <laughs> and, then, and then I think, to me, the final assault is one day you find your husband and the new wife lying on the bed together. He's tickling her. 
and she's giggling. Suddenly the phone rings, and he answers it. Afterwards, he tells you something important has come up, and you must leave immediately. And he asks you to stay home with the new wife and make sure she's all right. <laughs> what are you going to do, Anne? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I, part of what I love about that exercise, Adele, is that it does feel like an outrage, right? Like it would be completely untenable in our society for a husband to bring home a new wife and expect the the original wife to be excited about it. I mean, it's, Unless you lived in a polygamous Right. Society. Well, it's, not only is yeah. it illegal, but it's just we have such an immediate getting of what a violation that is. What a complete it a betrayal. It is. And, and it doesn't. Oh, God, the feelings are so deep and they're so profound. I remember in my own home, I mean, that was an exercise that Elaine and I wrote for, you know, in our workshops. But I just remember the time in my own home when, when they had been spending a whole long, rainy day with the kids and they were squabbling all day, bickering, bickering, bickering. And, and I, we were all exhausted. <laughs> Finally, I, I got them into the kitchen and gave them a little snack and, and everyone just tired. And I said to them, gee, it must be hard to have to deal with a brother and sister all the time. I'll bet sometimes you could even wish that you were the only one. And and Carl, my eight-year-old, responded happily, Yeah, let's kill them both, and I'll be the only one. <laughs> and immediately my, my, my daughter said, Oh, yeah, Carl, I'll kill you first. <laughs> and then my, my five-year-old, my sweet, chubby-cheeked five-year-old, looked up at me earnestly with his big brown eyes, and he said, oh, I, I wouldn't want to kill Carl, Mommy. And I thought, well, at least I've got one good one. <laughs> and he said, I would want him to die slowly so I could see him suffer. <laughs> so, there, I mean, those are, those are some of the things that drove me personally to, to, to figure this thing out. My goodness. And yeah. then the more I dug into the topic, the more there was to, to uncover. I mean, it's a... It's a huge topic, and it it has many streams and areas. Part, part of the relief of the laughter at the story you just told is that you, at some level, were already acknowledging you weren't that threatened by it. But I think in many households, if a child expresses a wish to kill their sibling, it is responded to, oh, no, you don't feel that way, honey. You love your brother. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's yeah, all kinds yeah. of ways that those kind of sentiments, that sentiments of hatred, of wishing they would die, wishing they would mm -hmm. suffer, you are know, the, so the taboo. I'm sorry. The, you know, typical conversation that I've heard, the three-year-old says, send the baby back. You know, typical. Yes. You know, and without skipping a beat, what do we do? We answer, oh, you don't mean that, sweetheart. Yes, I do. No, <laughs> you don't. Yes, I do. Oh, come on. You love your little sister. She's your baby, too. Go on. Give her a kiss. That's a good girl. What are you doing? Are you biting her? Stop <laughs> that bad girl. Wham. There, now they love each other. <laughs> right. But as, as, as we all know, feelings can't be mandated. They can't be turned on and off like a faucet. If you try to suppress hostile feelings, one of two things happen. They, they either go underground and express themselves symptomatically. You get nail-biting, nightmares, asthma, stomach aches, whining, bedwetting, or, or, or they get acted out with p 
pinches and punches. And and all you can do instead is probably what most of our parents never did for us. Let those feelings out into the light of day. Acknowledge them. And if you like, I can give you an example that I love from, from one of my groups. Please do. Uh, okay. A, a, a dad in one of my groups uh gave me a transcript of a conversation he had just had with his three-year-old, and it started with send the baby back. Only he, uh, he said, uh, oh, accepting the feeling, <laughs> oh, you don't want him here anymore. No, he cries too much. Oh, so his crying bothers you. Yeah, and he won't play with me. Hmm. So you wish he were old enough to play with you already. Yeah. But sometimes he holds my finger. And you like that? Yeah. Well, Jimmy, it seems to me you have two feelings about the baby. Sometimes you wish he would just go away and never come back. And sometimes you sort of like having him around. And the kids say, yeah. And Dad said, I'm glad you told me how you feel, because now I know. And what was most interesting to me, Anne, was that the father said that over the next few weeks, the little boy would periodically say, "Uh, Daddy, tell me about my two feelings. And each time he would listen intently. How about that? (laughs) So striking. So so what, what I'm putting sort of side by side is in the first time, child expresses wanting the baby to be go back the, the parent tries to convince the child that they really do love their sibling and they end up having the child even more forcefully hating the sibling yeah in the yeah. second instance the parent really so, l- both listens and affirms and tries to understand it's oh so this is how you feel and keeps allowing and accepting and then what happens is the child arrives at a place of even having some feelings of enjoying the child so it's yes. so paradoxical, in fact. It is. It is. Not till the bad feelings come out can the good feelings come in. <laughs> I didn't invent that. That was, uh, but uh, uh, that is that is the truth, and it's astonishing. I'm just thinking when when I when I heard about that dialogue, I thought, you know, what a gift when he said you have two yes. feelings. You know, yes. And he really wanted to know about it, and I thought, what a gift that dad gave his son. You know, what a head start on mental health that little boy was getting. Imagine at the age of three, he's learning what few adults know. It is possible to have two totally contradictory feelings at the same time (laughs) and that they can both be real and both legitimate and you're not crazy for feeling that way. It's wonderful. Uh, So this is a big thing. A big thought for parents to absorb, for everybody, for, for adults to to absorb. And I can imagine that for a parent, you know, child comes to me expressing sort of hateful feelings. Mm-hmm. That part of what gets triggered for the parent is a kind of shame. Like, what does this mean about me as a parent that I have this child with hatefulness in it? And that part we have sort of such a wish for everything to look so nice on the outside. I'm wondering if part of it if part of that sort of shushing and no, no, you really love the baby response is is really driven by the parents' shame about this kind of negativity. The parents? Did you say the parents' shame? Yes, the parents' embarrassment <clears throat> that know, they're something, chi- something's that they, wrong with me because I have kids who are. Yes, I must have been a bad mother. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, that's a big one, isn't it? That we have this idea that if we raise our children well, they will only have loving feelings. Mm. Did you ever struggle with that yourself as a parent? With your beautiful, yeah. chubby five-year-old boy who said he... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, as I said, that's what drove me to to write. And, and the most difficult thing for me was to realize that the great gift I was giving them by acknowledging the negative feelings because because it was only then that they could reach out to each other more comfortably. And and also it was the knowledge that... Uh, uh, that some kids just naturally are attracted to each other and, and are close to each other, and that some personalities will will never achieve that level of closeness. But that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, what they do have and will have forever is their long history, because they were the they were the first persons. <laughs> They, in some cases, that they saw when they opened their eyes, and and sometimes they're even the last persons they see as they depart from this earth. So it's it's the most it's it's the most enduring relationship, and it's interesting to me that even some of the worst relationships are those that that as adults people want to reclaim. Uh, after all, it's my brother, my sister, whatever. And and there are friends who become like brothers or sisters, and, and those those relationships are very precious to us. Yes. So the best thing we can do is let them be as rotten as, they, as we can. And, and it also requires knowing yourself, knowing yourself, too. How do you mean? Yeah, and, and knowing that... Uh, I mean, even this little matter of, of playing favorites, you know, when people are, you know, when you said shame, you know, people are shocked. You know, how could I feel that way about him? And, uh, you know, I really don't like this kid. And and I really love the other one. Uh, you know, that can happen. <laughs> you can be attracted or feel closer to one child than you do to another. And and that's all right. And those feelings can even change and and depending upon how the child changes. But, but you have a job as a parent. You have a job to, to affirm whatever is special and different and marvelous about each child and, 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 and focus that back to him and hold that up to him. And that's enough. That's enough to help them grow. So part of what I hear you making a, dis- a distinguishing between is feelings versus kind of behavior, meaning if you have these feelings of some more natural affinity to one child, mm-hmm. it's okay that you feel that way, but your job is to really affirm and draw out what is wonderful about each child. So it's- that each child feels like a number one child. They, and By the way, kids will test you all the time. You know, <laughs> who do you love best, you know? <laughs> Right. And I, I still remember uh, my my son charging into the room and and uh, flinging himself at me at the end of a day. I was so tired, and he said, "Mommy," he said, "Who do you love best?" And I just thought, and I I had just written this book, believe it or not. <laughs> right, you were supposed to be an expert. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to be an expert, and I just said, oh, "I said, oh, I love you all the same." And he said, "Yeah," he said, but he said, "Suppose." 
But suppose we were in a rowboat, and the rowboat turned over, and and we were all drowning. Which one would you save? And then I thought, <laughs> I said, well, I'd save the one closest to me. And then he said, but suppose we were all in the same closeness. <laughs> and that was when sort of my mind clicked into gear, and I thought, what am I doing? And I, I said, you're torturing me. <laughs> I said, you're having me even think about losing you? Are you kidding? I said, you know what that would mean to me? Never to have my wonderful, and then I went to a full description of him, my amazing, creative, you know, adorable something son again. I said, there's only one like you in the whole wide world, and you were asking me to imagine how I would feel if you were lost to me? I said, that's torture. And he just grinned at me happily and left the room. That was all he needed to know was how important he was, how unique he was. Not not whether he was loved more or less, but but he was loved not the same, but he was loved uniquely for his own separate special self. And that's all that's all I need from us. But but this requires a little bit of thinking on our parts as parents and and a little bit of practice, which is why we wrote our group workshop programs and why we write all our programs because it's not the kind of talk that's 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 in the culture a lot of the talk that's in the culture is not helpful part of what's so moving about that story the rowboat story is Mm -hmm. that at some point you got it what he was really asking that you could sort of hear his real question about Mm -hmm. you know am i precious to you and um, I'm, I wonder how often, and, and he was so easily satisfied, he didn't really need you to make comparisons like that. No, you don't. You really don't. Yeah, you really don't. So comparisons are deadly, just deadly. When I, I put a poll out to my friends who are mothers of more than one child and mm-hmm. told them I was having this wonderful opportunity to talk to you and they have a, a question they wanted me to ask you and they were also I, had, I was overwhelmed with questions but one of them that kept coming up was this idea about how do you balance sort of fairness with loving uniquely you know I think for a while probably my mother's generation tried to do everything equally sort of strictly by the book exactly the same oh oh you 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 it, it's that's bad <laughs> I mean, it's bad I don't imagine if 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 uh, you were to say to your husband, you know, who do you, honey, who do you love best, your mother or me? And he said to you, Anne, I love you both equally. And <laughs> <laughs> that would not satisfy you. Which, what you would want to hear would be something like, hey, my mother is my mother, but you are the beautiful, wonderful, adorable, bright, sexy woman I want to spend the rest of my life with. I mean, that would be... <laughs> he loves me for me and and for who I am and what's special about me and 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 don't we we don't have to be fair with the kids you know you gave him more than me I mean don't you know instead of going down that whole road of you know I did not I gave you each three pancakes yeah but here's a bigger you know here's a fatter you know well, yours are longer you know I mean just I I mean this there is no winning once you go down that equal road. You really need to tune into the child's unique needs immediately. So, so a more happier answer for everybody would be, "Oh, are you still hungry? Well, a little. 
<laughs> hungry enough for a whole pancake or a half. A whole. Boy, you really are hungry. So I've switched from do I get as much as my brother to what do you need? What do you need? And then, and then when he says, it's not fair, she got new pajamas and I didn't. Oh, so when you see her get the new pajamas, it makes you think, oh, I want some too. I know that feeling. Hmm. <laughs> and when you do that, just so they stay with the pajama story. And when you honor the feeling, you hear it, you affirm it like that, you acknowledge mm -hmm. it, does that satisfy the child or does she still want the new pajamas? She might still want it, but she <laughs> knows that the time will come. And when you put your arm around her and you say, and even though, Though you know that you just got new pajamas, you know, six months ago, and that as soon as you need more, you'll get it. It still bothers you <laughs> <laughs> when you see your sister get it and parade around in it. <laughs> yes, that's and, right. And as far as your sister is concerned, let me say to her, Janie, when you say nanny, 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 <laughs> that doesn't help. That's flaunting and that's, that's right. you know nobody likes that that's right adele okay. we have we have time for one last kind of one minute question we're going to have to stop but one of the other questions that so many of my friends asked is that when they when they have the second child the mother ends up often being with the younger child and the dad often sort of takes over to be the primary person for the older child and then those patterns kind of get entrenched for a while and a number of parents express some concern about sort of the alliances about sort of one child being really allied with one parent and another one with the other, and a sort of worry about what the impact is there on the sibling relationship. I wondered if you could speak to that, well, but briefly. It, 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 I, I speak with no special authority here. It's just been my experience that, that um, feelings, as kids get older, uh, those relationships change. You're telling me that in some cases they don't. Uh, well, if if those cases they they don't change, then I would make I would make an effort. I would speak to the other spouse and and say, hey, uh, you know, how about you taking Janie to the hardware store today? <laughs> All right, and then Jeff and I will go to the park. I mean, just just to be aware that. I mean, it's their awareness is helpful. It sounds as if your friends are very sensitive to to the relationships that are going on, and that's fine. That's fine. Uh, you don't have to change everything immediately and force a relationship that isn't, that isn't real. But you can, you can push in one direction or another. And, and, of course, I mean, the big thing, the big thing is time alone. I mean, oh, I mean, kids really need time alone with, with, with one parent or another so that they really feel valued by each. Uh, and that's that's deeply satisfying to a child to be seen as that individual valued by his father, valued by by his mother, and not in relation to the other children. Adele, on that note, we're going to have to say goodbye. I want to thank you so much for being my guest on Safe Space Radio. 
Well, it's made my great pleasure. Thank you, Anne. <laughs> my thanks tonight to Ken Caprin for the sound, to Morris Lennon for the music, and Neil McKenty for being my consultant. If you'd like to listen to the show in its entirety or email it to a friend, please go to our website. It's www.safespaceradio.com. It will be up on the site within a couple days. Also, you can subscribe there to get a weekly announcement of the shows with a link, and you can download us from the iTunes store under podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook. Coming up next is Watchdog.